Hello, and welcome to another bonus episode of 20-Minute Health Talk. I'm Rob Hoyle, and joining me in the studio is the one and only Sandra Lindsay, Vice President of Public Health Advocacy for Northwell Health and our newest co-host. Thanks, Rob. It's great to be with you once again. Of course, Sandra spent 29 years in nursing, most recently as Director of Critical Care Nursing at LIJ Medical Center, as the first American to receive the COVID-19 vaccine outside of a clinical trial, Sandra has become a household name and prominent advocate for health equity and access. For that work, she has received numerous honors, including the Presidential Medal of Freedom from President Joe Biden here in the U.S., and just a few weeks ago, the Order of Distinction from the Prime Minister of her home country of Jamaica. On last week's show, we spoke with Drs. Tara Lieberman and Mia Klar about common misconceptions around hospice and the factors that too often prevent people from using the valuable end-of-life services. Today, we take a closer look at one of those factors. Sandra? Thanks, Rob. After your conversation last week, I followed up with Dr. Lieberman, Executive Director of Northwell Health's Hospice Care Network, about the role that culture plays in end-of-life care. I've known Dr. Lieberman for many years, working at Long Island Jewish Medical Center, treating some of the sickest patients in our ICUs. I've seen firsthand how misconceptions about hospice, some based on cultural beliefs, can create barriers to care. Studies show that non-white patients are considerably less likely to use end-of-life care and pain management. Black seniors in particular are more likely to forego hospice care compared with white and Latino seniors. They're more likely to have multiple emergency department visits and hospitalizations and endure exhaustive treatments in the last six months of life compared with white individuals, regardless of cause of death. I asked Dr. Lieberman, what factors drive this hesitancy about end-of-life care? How cultural beliefs can actually influence people's perception of pain and how we can break down cultural barriers to improve and possibly even extend their lives. Here is my conversation with Dr. Lieberman. Dr. Lieberman, welcome back to 20 Minute Health Talk. On last week's episode, you talked about working closely with patients and families to understand what's meaningful to them. We know that certain cultures are less likely to use the service. What are some of the factors driving that hesitancy? Um, I think there's a lot of different cultural beliefs and understandings that as a practitioner, it's really important to dive into understanding um, around what is meaningful to them. Um, There are opportunities for mistrust um, in the healthcare system given past experience for some cultures. There's an understanding of pain and how pain can be um, appreciated by different cultures and how it could be treated. And then there's also just the idea of having a conversation about death um, in different cultures, which can be taboo. We know that the perception of pain um, can differ in various cultures. Can you talk about that and how that can impact care being delivered through hospice? So pain is a very subjective feeling. And those in different cultures may exhibit pain in different ways and may appreciate the way pain is being um, affecting their medical 
condition. So some cultures, when experiencing pain, may feel as though it might be a, f a sign of weakness um, if they exhibit any pain. So they try very hard to be stoic and not exhibit any pain. Some cultures may feel that the pain that they're experiencing is um, the faith of the, is part of their faith, and this is the way that um, God would want them to be um, experiencing the disease that they're having through pain. And to give them medications would lessen their relationship with their faith. Um, other people will feel that um, pain can influence the way that they um, are being cared for. Um, so, so you might want to talk to them about what that means to them if medication is appropriate. In some cases, they may not feel that because they want to feel the pain because that to them may feel as though they're actually getting better. Um, in some cultures, that's what they believe. So there's just so many different thoughts around what pain means to different cultures. Some may also see that they're sleeping more after getting pain medication and may see that as a sign of well, we're hastening their progression to death. Yeah, I think there's a lot of um, misconception about medication for pain, that they feel that when giving it, it can hasten someone's life um, and that they could pass away sooner. When reality, we've never proven um, that medication will hasten someone's death given in an appropriate um, amount. So, you know, a lot of education around how to provide the appropriate dosage of whatever medication you're giving the patient and the, so that the loved ones understand that this is really about decreasing suffering and not hastening the death of a loved one. In many cultures, speaking about death is off limits, as you mentioned before. In my Jamaican culture, we often associate hospice with giving up on our loved ones. In the South African culture, it is believed that speaking about death will make it happen mm -hmm. faster. Japanese and Iranian cultures avoid the discussion altogether. And some cultures believe that God, not a physician or any other individual, decides when life ends. What do you say to individuals who hold these beliefs or avoid having these discussions? I think that it's very important to first understand the belief and understand where their uh, thought is. Um, there's a lot of cultures, exactly what you're saying, is that speaking about death is a taboo, that it may bring that coming on sooner, or it may upset the patient or their loved ones. And so there's a lot of um, avoidance. I think it's important to talk about what matters most to a patient and family when their life is getting closer to the end. And not talking about the specific death, but how do we acknowledge and elevate their life um, when their lifespan may be getting shorter. And not to say that the person is going to die in a week, a month, six months, but just to say what would be meaningful to you and your loved ones when you um, are getting sicker. And that's how I try to frame the conversation more about when someone is sick, has an advanced illness, and maybe um, having a life lessened lifespan. And I like that term that you use, um, elevating their life as, you know, they've become sick or getting sicker, progressing, so that people see it as an elevation and an enhancement of life. Because often people feel like we're cutting life short or taking away and don't see the positives 
in hospice care. So can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think that's also a misnomer, especially with hospice. Many people feel that going to be on hospice means that we will um, give up the treatments, give up um, the hope, giving up the um, medical management. What reality of it's really elevating and um, expanding someone's quality, their comfort, their relationship with their families, relationship with their cultural, spiritual leaders, et cetera. And I think that we need to change the idea of what um, end of life looks like and what the care of hospice looks like as more of a support system and a way to elevate their quality. So then how do we break down the cultural barriers to accepting hospice care, particularly in communities who are lagging behind in acceptance? I think it's really important to reach out to these communities, um, give education on what is the benefit of hospice and what the benefit of of having conversations about what's meaningful to their um, loved ones um, when they're getting close to the end of life and understanding and meeting them where they're at in their own cultural relationship with this uh, experience. And everybody is different and we should never assume given their background that they all believe the same and just individually having conversations about how can we help you and your family, your loved ones, uh, talk about and experience um, an opportunity for us to improve their quality of life whatever time that is left. Does developing a trusting relationship with a practitioner, um, will that help with getting through to some of these people? I think it does. I also think that that practitioner can reach out to their cultural leaders. Some cultures look to a faith-based leader for information about how to handle a situation. Others will look to a community leader who is sort of helping them gather the information and understand how they can be cared for. So creating a relationship and partnering with their cultural leaders, their spiritual leaders can really help understand and and help the family get through the the care of of their loved one. And that's important because when people are in a crisis, um, you know, that's who they look to. Yeah. I can think of so many times when I would speak with a family who was hesitant and say, who's the person that you rest most? Who's the person that can really help us guide you through this? And if they had somebody that that was meaningful to them, we asked if it was okay to reach out to them. And then we partnered in understanding how we can, you know, help make decisions and help move forward with the care that they need. Um, So I think that's really important. Just a lot of partnering, a lot of exploring, and just a lot of, you know, asking questions and understanding where they're at. And what are the signs families can look for that might indicate a loved one could benefit from hospice. If you have a loved one who um, you feel may have uh, less than six months to live or that has been eating less, sleeping more, um, maybe have symptoms like shortness of breath, pain, anxiety, confusion, and those would be things, signs and symptoms that I would say hospice might be appropriate. What are the criteria for hospice and does culture play a role in that decision? So, you know, for hospice, it's a Medicare guidelines of less than six months to live. And that might be very difficult for a culture to, to be able to admit that somebody has less than six months to live. So a lot of times what a practitioner can say is 
you know, when somebody is getting closer to the end of their life, we'd like to be able to support you and give you all the um, the best support we can in their home and help meet you where they're at and caring for them. Um, so there's a lot of conversations about what the services are and maybe avoiding the use of the word hospice because it has a lot of negative cognitations and sometimes feels like that we're just giving up and there's a lot of mistrust around that when the opposite is the truth. We're really looking to just elevate their their life. So then how do you prepare practitioners to have these delicate conversations, knowing what terms to use, how to bring it forward, hospice care in a more positive light, and reduce the number of negative connotations? So I think when you describe the services of what hospice is without utilizing the name, anybody would accept the care. They would love to have someone come to their home, a nurse. They'd love to have a volunteer. They'd love to have someone, a home health aide, come and help care for their loved one. They'd love to have a chaplain partner with one of their spiritual leaders. So I tell practitioners to describe what the the um, services. And usually that is how we can get people to understand that this is really about, you know, creating a supportive environment for a patient and their loved ones um, at home. And so at that point, I think it's a little bit easier to then understand that this is a service we call hospice um, and maybe allow them to, you know, recognize that it's not about just stopping, but more about support. So one more thing I'd like to touch on, because family members often feel guilty. There is a big component of guilt, and perhaps certain cultures experience that differently. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so it's interesting. There are some cultures, you know, that really focus on um, a hierarchical or a patriarchal way of having conversations at end of life. So we see some cultures, the patient cannot make the decision. It would be, you know, the head of the household, which might be the son or it might be um, the daughter, depending on the culture. And there's no conversation about what's meaningful. It's just what their decision is. Um, And that's hard for us in the United States where it's autonomy, right? The patient should be involved and have a conversation. So there's lots of different nuances with cultures when it comes to decisions. And I think that when you have these cultures, sometimes there's less burden because they know where they stand. When there's more of a ambiguity of who's to make decisions and they haven't had conversations with that patient, then we don't know what they want. And then there's an element of guilt. So I just really encourage everybody to just be open and honest and talk about what's happening and just talk about what's most important to them, what matters most. Well, this has been an interesting conversation, Dr. Lieberman. Thanks so much for joining me on this bonus episode of 20 Minute Health Talk. Always a pleasure speaking to you. Sandra, this amazing work. I'm so excited for you. I mean, the last time I saw you were in Scrubs and now it's so lovely to see you doing this type of work. It's so well deserved. I'm really excited for you and actually everyone to be able to hear the knowledge that you have. Thank you. I really appreciate that, Dr. Lieberman. Thanks so much. Get more expert insight from the leading voices in healthcare today. You can subscribe to 20 Minute Health Talk wherever podcasts are available.